Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. Today, I'm so happy to share a recent Firebird Book Award-winning author with you. She is Rebecca Dimian, and the winning books, there's two books, are titled Waiting for Beirut and Chronic, A Memoir of Illness and Healing. Rebecca is an award-winning writer, editor, and teacher. Her work has been published in national and international publications. She has taught college writing at several universities in Connecticut for nearly a decade. She is also an experienced editor and conference director who has taught workshops as part of the Connecticut Writing Project. And we are about to find out more. So welcome to the network, Rebecca. Thank you very much. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> I'm happy to have you here, too. It's always good to put, uh, I was going to say, a name with a face, but maybe a voice with a name. How's that? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> well, congratulations on winning the Firebird Book Awards. I was happy to share that with you. Yeah, I'm so excited. Thank you so much. I, it is an absolute honor. And these were pre-publications, right? Right. So they're both, um, the memoir will be available actually June 6th, mm-hmm. and then the, the novel's coming out in October. Okay. But yes, they're, they're yeah. <laughs> well, it's good to get the awards going ahead of time. It actually gives you uh, an extra push and a reason when you get it out there to say it's already award winning. It's kind of a smart move. Yes, I'm, I'm very excited about that. It's, it's definitely uh, it's definitely helpful with PR and marketing. <laughs> Absolutely. Alrighty, well, let's start with the memoir titled Chronic. You say that this memoir is a collection of secrets I never planned to share, the advice I never felt qualified to give, and the hope I never expected to find. So maybe give us a peek into the book so uh, folks listening have an idea of what to expect. Sure, Absolutely. Um, so, the, so the book is about my experience with chronic illness, specifically endometriosis. Um, endometriosis affects uh, nearly one in ten women. Um, it is very difficult to get a diagnosis. It typically takes um, between five and seven years uh, to get a proper diagnosis, and there's technically no real treatment um, for the disease, and it can be quite painful. Um, so in the book, I, I talk about not not only what it is like having chronic illness, but also the experience of getting a diagnosis and and the frustrations that we often must confront when when going to the doctor repeatedly and and all of the the debt and the tests that lead nowhere and um, it ends up being a whole other aspect of chronic illness that. Even if you don't have endo, if you have, um, if anyone's suffering or if you have a loved one who suffers from chronic illness, um, I think many people will be able to relate, um, with my experience. Um, but I also, um, delve into the ways that, um, uh, uh, chronic illness has impacted mental health, um, as well as body image. Um, I kind of go into my history a little bit, um, beginning when I was a teenager, um, and just, you know, being a young woman <laughs> coming of age um, through my college years and then, of course, um, my 20s and into my 30s as a professional uh, wife and mother um, and just how my whole body image has evolved and um, the ways that chronic illness has actually impacted that in a positive way mm-hmm. and how I've, um, you know, come to embrace certain holistic um, treatments to, to manage my pain. So there is hope um that I'm, I'm hoping to offer uh, readers, you know, there there are other ways besides Western medicine. I, I 
I still, you know, have doctor's appointments and whatever, but I, I've found um, many different holistic treatments such as, um, you know, herbal remedies and uh, teas. You'll, you'll notice in the book cover there's a tea cup. Tea, tea plays an important role too. Um, just things like that and diet, dietary and lifestyle changes that have made like a world of a difference in living with chronic pain. This is huge, Rebecca. I come from a patient advocacy background and I did radio shows for years on patient safety and the patient experience and, you know, all of that then encompasses this kind of long-term diagnoses that people go through. And I've met so many women and you, that number is crazy huge. One in 10 women experience it five to seven years for some kind of a diagnosis, no treatment. And yeah. And you know what? It not just affects the person who's experiencing it. I have found also from conversations, it affects people surrounding that person, the family members and people that live with them. It's like, how do you live with somebody who is in chronic pain? And then eventually you just think this person's crazy. I can't deal with it anymore. And I'm sure you've witnessed that kind of feedback. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Especially being married. <laughs> I mean, chronic illness definitely impacts, you know, your sex life and and other aspects of, of a relationship. And it's as much as it's affecting me, it's affecting my husband, and of course, different ways, but mm-hmm. um, equally important and worth talking about. And I like that you do talk about the alternative, um, a holistic side of help. And, you know, people think, oh, tea, how silly, that, how's that going to help? <laughs> right. You know, it sounds like it's pretty insignificant, but it isn't. And I'm so happy right. that you're bringing this to light so that people don't feel like, they're out there all by themselves. Thank you so much. That, that is my intention. I mean, the reason I wrote the book was for all the people. I started writing shorter articles um, that were published in, in a few places, and, and people would reach out all the time and ask me questions about the different things I found helpful. And, and also just to, to have someone to, to share their experience and story with someone who understands, you know, who's going through the same thing. Like, it can be kind of comforting because illness is, it can be very isolating, um, especially if your loved ones or friends don't really understand what it's like. Um, you know, it's just nice to have somebody gets it. Um, so that, that's actually the whole reason I ended up writing the book. Yeah. Was that, was that an easy decision to sit down and put this all on paper? Did it end out being a cathartic outcome for you? Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel like process, it helped me process mm-hmm. everything that I had been dealing with for years. And when I actually sat down to think about like my history um, and like where to begin, it was amazing to me. It was actually pretty illuminating to to realize that my story started way earlier than I even I even realized. You know, you think okay, chronic illness and something like I know it would start with when you start having pain and, and problems and going to the doctor. So in my case, I was in my early twenties, but really when I thought about it, you know, it started at thirteen. Um, you know, when I got my first period and. And nothing is really quite normal, but I feel like, um, you know, you, you don't realize at 13 what's normal, what's not. You know, it's not necessarily normal to have painful periods that are irregular. And, yeah, it was definitely very therapeutic to kind of process the whole history and, and everything that was related to it. So after a diagnosis, can give us a little look into what happens once there is a diagnosis? Sure. Um, so, unfortunately, it, it was my experience and, and many of the women I've spoken with um, that once you get a diagnosis, oftentimes you're still, you know, suffering from, from pain. Um, 
I had a procedure done, a lap, uh, I always say this word wrong, a laparoscopy. Sorry. I can't, yes, I don't know yeah. why I can't, I have that. That's a um, weird word, laparoscopy. Word. Yeah. Yes, laparoscopy. <laughs> um, but I, uh, once I had that procedure done and they confirmed diagnosis, um, I still continued having pain of the same level. Like there was no relief at all. And I've spoken with other women who've had, unfortunately, the same thing. And, and usually, Women will need multiple surgeries. I've been fortunate enough. I had mine, and um, it's, it's I'm coming up, I think, on seven years. And thankfully, I, I haven't needed another one. I've been able to to manage with the holistic things that I've been doing. Um, but a, a lot of there's different ways to manage it. Western medicine promotes, you know, birth control pills, and there's certain injections you can get that kind of um, that are supposed to help manage it. But oftentimes women still have a lot of issues even, even afterwards, unfortunately. Your, um, I think I read somewhere where you described it as running drunk with a stack of China. And that is quite a mental image. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it's this idea of, um, you know, you still have to keep going and, but you're going so, so fast. It feels like everything's moving fast sometimes. And, and you're just trying to keep your life from just falling on the floor and shattering. Yeah, that there are definitely moments like that. Um, I've found I've, I've had many of them through the years, but um, recently it's it's been a lot a lot better. I haven't had that that feeling as often. Yeah, I was going to ask you how are you doing now? Oh, thank you. Um, I'm actually for the most part I've been managing very well. I I had a little bit of a setback um, after having um, COVID. Uh, I think uh, other women I've spoken with had, uh, if you had COVID, it, some, it seemed to um, amplify some of the sure. symptoms a bit. So things that were kind of, um, I don't want to say remission, but things that were managed pretty effectively kind of um, amped up a little bit pain-wise um, after um, being sick. Um, I, I'm back to a pretty good place now. I've kind of really doubled down on a lot of my um, my herbs and my dietary uh, restrictions and um, I seem to be getting <laughs> getting better uh, for the most part. I I have had some some stiff rupturing recently, which has not been very pleasant. But for the most part, I, I really can't complain. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a long term situation, and thankfully you're writing about it because I'm sure you've heard. Well, it's not out yet, so you haven't gotten any feedback. Right. Ah. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm <laughs> I'm very excited, nervous. <laughs> all, all of the feelings. <laughs> you would be doing such a service to, to women and families. I know several women right now who are in the throes of crazy diagnoses. And, you know, I've often said to them, have you asked about endometriosis? And it's like, well, no one's mentioned that. I'm like, whoa. Right. <laughs> yeah. And why is that? I mean, you know, we're not in the dark ages anymore. Why is a diagnosis take um, seven years? That's an excellent question, and that's that's something that I, I try to get to the root of um, in my book, um, because my also my my sister has been dealing with some similar things, and she brought it up to her her gynecologist, and her gynecologist was like, "Oh no, it doesn't." See. She did like a, a regular, you know, annual exam. She's like, "Well, I don't see any evidence of it. You're fine, but you can't actually diagnose it that way." So yeah. I don't know if it's just that it's not something that's very well understood by uh, a lot of Western doctors. Um, I had a much different experience when I visited um, naturopaths. Like they have a very 
um, mm-hmm. profound understanding of it and the way it's connected with other parts of the body and health. Um, but yeah, I think part of it is it's just not well understood and there's really no treatment options. And, um, I think, I, I do believe that they're doing some more research, um, now and, and hopefully we'll have some, they're, they're trying to come up with it. I think part of it is there's not really a test. Mm-hmm. There's not like a simple te- diagnostic test right. that can be performed. Um, so that's part of it. I mean, you don't really know until you get in there like surgically and see evidence of it. Like a lot of times, you know, endometriosis like lesions won't show up on an, a regular ultrasound or MRI. So I had a lot of testing done and none of it showed up until my doctor went in there. I was like, oh, yeah, no, this is a mess in here. <laughs> so, oh, interesting. Uh, I think that's part of it. Yeah, and that's not anybody's first line of approach. They're not going to say, hey, let's do some surgery so we could really see what's going <laughs> right. on here. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. But, but I would encourage women who are having this kind of um, pain and, and long-term pain to have this conversation on their mind and on their lips and approach their doctors and say, hey, what about this? Um, could it yes, be endometriosis? And if they say, no, it doesn't look like, well, then find another doctor and another doctor. My show is called Speak Up and Stay Alive. And for a reason, <laughs> right. you know, you do, you have to speak up and take charge. And just because someone says, no, it can't be that because I don't think it is. You need to pursue your own health. And I do believe your book is really going to help women to take this conversation a little bit further and take care of themselves. Wow, thank you. Thank you for talking and sharing this with us. I'm sure it's not easy, but uh, important. Are there are there support groups? Are there other groups of people that are talking about this? So I've, I've actually found community online, believe it or not. I know online social media tends to get a bad rap these days, but um, I've found a couple of uh, places. Some, they're not technically support groups, I guess, but they are resources. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have often discussions that are happening online where people, you know, you can post questions, you know, on Facebook or uh, or whatever. And, and you can, you know, add, if you're having, if you're frustrated and you have questions, then it's been a really great community um, that I've, I've been fortunate, fortunate enough to, to find. But I'm not, I'm, I'm sure there are in certain areas, there probably mm-hmm. are some support groups, but yeah. I'm not familiar with them instead of me um, in person. Depending on your time that you have available and your frame of mind, I mean, this is something you could run with and start your own online support group and use your book as a tool. If there's not a voice out there, you surely can be one. Oh, that's a wonderful idea. I hadn't even considered that, but that is, that is a great idea. Thank you. Oh, stick with me. I am that. like a fountain of ideas for other people. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> I could put other people to work very quickly. <laughs> yeah. If you ever decide to do that, if you need any help, let me know. I could maybe lend a thought or two. Eventually doing a podcast about it. There's so many topics to it. You could start your own. I don't know if there are any podcasts that deal with this topic. There might be. be it might be something worth uh, looking at. And I, uh, I'd be happy to help you with that. Thank you so much. I might actually pick you up on that. That's a fantastic yeah, idea. You should. I hope so. All righty, let's just switch gears. I do want to touch upon your other novel, Waiting for Beirut. Tell us about that. Totally different topic. Yeah, we're spinning um, around here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's historical fiction. Um, so Waiting for Beirut began as my graduate thesis um, when I was getting my MFA. I spent 11 years writing and researching and rewriting and rewriting about a dozen more times. 
Um, but it's inspired by my family history. Um, the book is set in the 1950s in Connecticut and Lebanon, um, and it follows uh, George, first-generation Lebanese um, man who has to drop out of college and um, tend to his dying father and, and their grocery store in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, and then he's also, um, uh, he's a gay man living in the 50s, and on his honeymoon in Beirut, he meets and falls in love with another man. Uh, and so that's the premise for Waiting for Beirut. Um, and much of it is rooted in my family history um, and based on my, my grandparents. Oh, so, wow. How was that to write and research? <laughs> it was interesting. Um, oh. uh, so I, I was fortunate enough to actually travel to Lebanon um, in 2015. And I actually I found this little mountain village um, where my great-grandparents were from, and I I actually met cousins that I didn't even know still existed there. Um, it was really wonderful. It's just such a fascinating, it's such a great culture. My, so I'm, I'm Lebanese on my father's side, mm-hmm. and it's just really, it's just really wonderful, the food and the family and, and everything. It was just such a fantastic experience. My, my grandparents, unfortunately, passed away when I was very young, mm-hmm. so much of my research um, came, you know, secondhand. Uh, from other family, interviewing other family members. And I actually, I interviewed um, many members of the Danbury community, Danbury, Connecticut, where I'm from, um, who are from that generation who are still alive. And they were just so, it was just so wonderful listening. There's, there's such a fountain of, of knowledge. And it's just so great to listen to these stories about a time and a place that no longer exists, um, not just not just, um, you know, Lebanon in the 1950s, but also Connecticut, the Danbury community, which was so, you know, multicultural, very diverse community even still, um, to get that history and to, to listen to it and then to recreate it in the novel. is just such a fantastic experience I'm very grateful for. Oh, how wonderful for you, Rebecca, and how healthy, given the, the topic we just talked about and the life you've led with <laughs> that, to have this kind of gift has just got to spur you on and, and perk you up and make you feel so good. I'm so so happy you had this opportunity. I can't wait for these books to come out. There's there's going to be Thank some, you so much. Yes, it's great feedback on it. So what's next? Are you working on any other books? Well, actually, I've got I've got some more ideas for for some books. <laughs> I told myself I was going to take a break from from writing any any books. I want to stick with like more short fiction right. um, and kind of focus more on editorial work and teaching. But of course I've already got some more ideas for, <laughs> for my next one. So I'm like, Oh, we're, we're kind of working those out now. Maybe this summer I'll start something new. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get rolling, it's hard to uh, turn your brain into a sleep mode, I'm sure. Right? Yes, exactly. You know, it's funny, you mentioned Connecticut. A couple weeks ago, I I did a Firebird Fun Fact. I do one every Sunday on Instagram. And I had posted how we had not had, and you were the only one, we had not had any um, uh, book submissions from Connecticut. And I thought, that is really (laughs) wild. (laughs) So you're our prize winner just from the fact that you came from Connecticut. How's that? (laughs) That's so funny. I love it. <laughs> it is funny. So any Connecticut people listening, get on get on the stick here. We we Yeah. We need more people from there. 
Oh my gosh, so much more we could talk about, but um, I'm sure we can do this again sometime. I'm just fascinated with both of these books. And when they come out, please uh, tag me or email me or something so that I could help promote them too. They're both very important and valuable. Thank you so much. I, I certainly will. I really, I really appreciate your support and speaking with you. Um, this is, oh man, this has been my whole, my whole week, my whole month. <laughs> <laughs> You're so fun. All right. Anything we missed though that you wanted to bring out today? No, I, I think we covered everything. I, I'm yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. 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 Let's then um, share any and all contact information where folks can find you and uh, eventually where they'll be able to get copies of your book. So probably your website or where, what social media, wherever you want to take us. Sure. Thank you. Um, so you can follow me on Rebecca Dimian author on Instagram or my website, RebeccaDimianWriter.com. The books are currently available for pre-order at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and pretty much wherever books are sold. So you can, and also, of course, if you go to my website, you'll, it'll take you take you to those various places. Right. Okay. So that'll be the safest place. RebeccaDimianWriter.com. Dimian is spelled D-I-M-Y-A-N. RebeccaDimianWriter.com. This has been an outstanding conversation. We went from one place to another and tantalized everybody. So they're going to be waiting with uh, anticipation for your books to get published. Thank you for sharing them with us ahead of time. That, that was a gift for us. And I look forward to them coming out and more of your work. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.